The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. How are you connecting with other people in your life through food? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. I am really excited about this week because we are branching out in such a fun way on this show. At its core, really, In the Arena is a show about how to build a meaningful life. And that includes our work lives, but so much more. So I'm diving headfirst into conversations with people who are drawing purpose from all kinds of experiences and fields in the hopes that you are inspired to design a life that's more meaningful to you. Today, I'm talking with best-selling cookbook author Julia Tertian. Her latest cookbook, Simply Julia, is a national bestseller, and she has four other cookbooks named Best Cookbook of the Year by Amazon, Eater, and NPR, among others. She's got a podcast called Keep Calm and Cook On, and she teaches cooking classes online almost every Sunday. Before we got started, I asked Julia what was energizing her, and her response was honestly one I've never gotten before. I've just come inside from ripping off with like a crowbar some of the wooden siding for my house. There was some rot and I just was sick of trying to find someone to do it. And I just figured out how to do it. So I've been doing it and it's been very empowering and very energizing. Yeah. Good for you. (laughs) My crowbar (laughs) is giving me energy. The the morning crowbar, of course, (laughs) as one does. (laughs) Lots of us have picked up something during the pandemic that we want to carry forward, but that could also easily slip as our lifestyles readjust. Mine was cooking. After many years of avoiding it, saying I'm not a cook, and New York City life, keeping it at bay, I finally kind of like cooking. Now, I've got a ways to go, so I talked to Julia because she's making comfort in the kitchen both accessible and genuine. She says we can stop performing, relieve stress by putting our focus just on the ingredients in front of us, and find our intention for creating nourishing food, including hers. My intention always, but especially right now with everything going on, is just figuring out how do we express care for each other and how do we offer care for each other. So the way I do that most often is through food. And I love to share not just the food, but also the way I use food. And I think it's a very helpful just example of what care can look like. But yeah. I used to think I just love talking about food, but I think what I love talking about is caretaking. Mm. You know, it's so funny. Um, Growing up, I never felt specifically intentional about food. My brother and I played sports. My mom was always carting us around to different places, and it was like, you got to eat, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't actually stop to say, wait a minute, what am I putting into my body? Where is it coming from and why? Honestly, until earlier this year. And I was like, wow, I feel like a lot of us are walking around kind of just eating without Mm -hmm. thinking about how it impacts all of us. Yeah, no, I think that is very true. But when I hear you say that, what resonates most for me is like, oh, you're just taking a moment to think more about how you're treating yourself. Yeah. 
like that to me is so valuable. And so it could be thinking about where your food comes from or how it's prepared or thinking about the person preparing it, whether it's you or someone else. But having that moment, that kind of pause, Mm. that is something I just strive for in life in general. I think it's worthy just to have that kind of, I guess, more like intentional approach. You know, Julia, you you said that you uh, realized that this wasn't just about food. It was also about caretaking. Like, did you have a a moment where you got really interested in food? I honestly cannot remember ever not being interested in food. Like, since I was a mm-hmm. little kid, I have just wanted to be in the kitchen. I have loved to eat. <laughs> I feel like I am a magnet to cooking. What do you, for people, you know, like me who I have not been, I've been a magnet to food, but not a magnet to cooking. Mm-hmm. Like I love food, but feeling confident in the kitchen took a long time and I'm frankly still working on it. Sure. How do you pass some of your feelings and magnetism by osmosis to people like me? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was really interesting just now to hear you talk about that because there is so much anxiety around both eating and cooking. Um which for me are very separate things. I will say in terms of um, feeling calm and empowered and confident in the kitchen, I feel that and I do as best as I can and as much as I can to help other people feel that, mostly because I know what it feels like to not feel that because in pretty much every other aspect of my life, I feel really anxious. (laughs) I'm a Mm -hmm. very anxious person. But when I get into the kitchen and I'm cooking, that just evaporates. And I feel all the things that I try to feel in other parts of my life. I feel confident. I feel secure in my abilities and my knowledge. I feel excited. (laughs) I feel joyful. I feel all these positive things. And mostly the reason I think I don't feel anxious at all is because I feel completely present. I'm paying attention to what I'm doing. When I am my most anxious, I'm worried either about something that might happen or I'm fixated on something that happened. And I feel like when I'm anxious, it's impossible for me to feel present. When I'm cooking, I am so present. I'm paying attention to the temperature of my skillet and how it's affecting what's in the skillet. Mm. I am paying attention to what I'm slicing because I I don't want to injure myself. You know, it forces me to pay attention in this way that just makes me feel completely in the moment. And I just cherish that. And the confidence that I feel isn't an ego thing. Like, I don't feel like everything I cook is so amazing at all. I just feel like I basically know that if I screw something up, I have the ability to either fix it (laughs) or to just let it go because it's one meal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the most important thing in the world. So in terms of sharing all of these feelings that I just described, there's a few ways I go about it. I have recently started in the last few months, basically since the beginning of the year, I've started teaching online cooking classes and I do them pretty much every weekend. And I love doing them because... I mean, for a bunch of reasons, but one, because I'm in my actual kitchen and I'm really relaxed. And I think with that, I'm getting to show people what it looks like to just be comfortable in your kitchen. So I think one, just by trying to walk the walk. And I think the other way I go about it is reminding myself and everyone I'm talking to that there's no one right way to cook anything. And I think so much food media by which I mean cookbooks, TV shows, podcasts, on and on. There's this um, 
kind of assumed sense of like required authority, <laughs> like the person hosting the show or writing the book or hosting the podcast, whatever it is, is like the expert and they are telling you the right way. And if you don't do it the right way, like capital T, <laughs> capital R, capital W, like you're doing something wrong. And I just think that is just crap. <laughs> I just think <laughs> you're making a meal. Like there's a million ways to do it. The way to do it that's best is the way that you enjoy it most. So I just feel like I'm constantly telling people, here's how I'm doing it. But also here's like five other ways off the top of my head I could imagine doing it. Here's five other ways I could imagine someone who likes this more than I do might do it. You know, I'm constantly giving substitutions and variations and just reminding everyone, including myself, like there is flexibility here. And I think within that flexibility, we can all just relax a little bit more. I want to go back to this moment. And I could sense it in you when you talk about how all of the anxiety evaporates and you mm -hmm. have confidence in a way that all I was thinking when you said it is just like, I got this, you know, mm -hmm. like it's it's not over or under. It's just like, you know how to show up in the kitchen. Um, and it's kind of like I'm a runner. And so it's it's mm. reminds me of like when I run, I'm like, I'm going to church. Like your kitchen sounds like your place of worship or where yeah. you connect to yourself. I think the the beautiful thing you said is when I'm anxious, it's impossible to be present because you're either worried about something that's potentially going to happen and probably not going to happen, which mm -hmm. I know from anxiety myself, or you're worried about something that's already happened. So what is it like to be in the kitchen and to just be fully present? It is. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> I just feel totally calm. Um, I don't feel so naive or ignorant to think that while I'm cooking, nothing bad in the world can happen. Mm -hmm. But I definitely feel like I have this tiny corner of the world where I am in control. And the control doesn't really matter so much. Like the stakes are pretty low. Um, I love hearing about that this is something you sort of feel when you're running. I have never once in my life felt that running, but I'm so <laughs> glad that you have access to that. Um, you and I could switch places because I normally don't feel <laughs> that when I'm cooking. <laughs> but I could imagine, um, you know, you are doing something with your body. I think that's a big part of it. It's an embodied experience. It's a physical thing. Um, so when you're running, I can imagine you're paying attention to your breathing or you're paying attention to it in a way where you don't even have to pay so much attention. Like it just kind of flows. I think it's like getting into that flow. And yeah, for me, I am a very cerebral person. I overthink a lot of things. So my anxiety is definitely, yeah, I see a hand. That's what, that's what, yeah, I'm like, it's probably why we both experience anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and so a lot of anxiety happens in my head, in my brain. Um, and I feel effects of it in my body. I'll, I'll feel my heart rate rise, you know, stuff like that. But when I intentionally pursue embodied experiences like cooking, uh, taking my dog on a hike, uh, petting my cat, like just feeling their heart rate, like having these physical moments that allow me to be present. It allows me to sort of um, not turn off my brain, but just tell it that it can take a rest. <laughs> like you can be quiet right now and I can just be in the rest of my body and not just isolated to this, you know, small part of it. Um, so that's a long way of saying, yeah, it feels really good. It feels really relaxed. It feels really calm. 
And it also feels like there's there's potential. There's like a hopefulness. And it can be as simple as like, oh, I'm making something that I'm really excited to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's pleasure on the other side of this effort. And that feels great. <laughs> you were talking about the physical experience of being in the kitchen and this embodied experience that you have. And I also know that you're into farming. And one of the, like, this is hilarious. You won't know this about me, but I was an agricultural business major in college. Okay, so cool. I spent senior year on a farm. And I have a dream one day of of having a garden, probably not in New York City, um, but having a garden and being able to just eat the food that I grow in some mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. So I'm curious what that's been like for you. Mm. So I spent like a full farming season. So I spent seven months of last year, 2021, working full time at a vegetable farm. That's like 10 minutes from where I live. And I made the decision to, you know, apply for that job for a number of reasons, including honestly feeling just a lot of burnout from 15 years of working in publishing. And in that way, it was very much a decision to honor my desire for like these embodied present experiences and just take a break from a very cerebral, very anxious (laughs) kind of life. So it was, it was an incredible experience. I am so grateful I did it. It was really hard. (laughs) It was very physically demanding. I have never felt stronger in my life, like physically capable. I've never been more aware of the weather and how much it changes just within a day. So I felt just so incredibly present. I felt really moved by how calming it is to do a repetitive thing, to spend maybe hours working in one single row of, let's say, carrots and just weeding them. In terms of how it's changed my work with food, it's not that I didn't know that it took a lot of work to grow food. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was aware of that. But now having had that experience, I just I have so much appreciation for every ingredient I bring into my kitchen and awareness of what went into making that possible. It also really impacted my relationship to money. To work that hard for very little money compared to the money that's even just available sort of in media, honestly, like if you're buying a pint or a quart of shelled peas, like you should be spending like $200, (laughs) like Mm. the amount of work (laughs) that goes into that, just the amount of time. Um, (laughs) So it's just deepened, I would say, my understanding of labor of how labor is rewarded or not, it deepened my physical connection to where I live and what I eat. And I think I just left that experience with, I yeah, a lot of gratitude and a lot of gratitude for the crew I got to be a part of and that I was the least experienced person there and that they all welcomed me. And it was really nice to go into a job where I was not the expert (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and to be sort of humbled by how much I could learn. Yeah. And what an amazing opportunity and privilege to be able to do that and and see that and experience it, which I love that you're actually, you're practicing what you share 
and like mm. you're experiencing what you share and then you know that you can feel that the difference yeah, yeah totally before we take a break i have a question for you how often do you rush from moment to moment instead of really choosing to be right where you are i know i do so next time you're cooking try fully showing up for it with all five of your senses i like cooking because you can use all the senses pretty easily seeing your colorful ingredients, hearing sizzles and pops, smelling fragrances, feeling textures, and of course, tasting flavors. But it can work with cleaning, exercising, working, or even mundane activities like washing the dishes. When we get back, Julia gets into why she calls herself a home cook and not a chef. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Have you been feeling the effects of stress, burnout, or anxiety at work? Workplace culture is changing, but we're not done yet. Listen to the Anxious Achiever podcast to rethink the relationship between your career and your mental health. Hear stories from psychologists, entrepreneurs, even athletes and celebrities. Learn how they balance success and ambition with staying mentally healthy and walk away with practical advice you can implement today. Get The Anxious Achiever wherever you find your podcasts. And we're back with cookbook author Julia Tertian. I've read that you call yourself a home cook, not a chef. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, um, you have removed maybe, as you talk about the expertise that people have and getting things perfect, you've removed this feeling of anxiety that can come up in the kitchen, which is, did I do it perfectly? And that's generally been my challenge, um, is that there is a perfect way. So I used to mm -hmm. say, I only like baking. And you know why? Because every single ingredient was so specific, I couldn't mm -hmm. get it wrong. And so I'm curious, like, is that why you call yourself a home cook? Is the what's the what's the reason <laughs> for that? <laughs> yeah, I I call myself a home cook for a few reasons. One is just because simply when I think of the word chef, I think of someone who works in a restaurant. If someone calls me a chef, I'm not like offended. But I my cooking happens at home. I'm a home cook who writes for other home cooks. Every recipe I write is for other people who are cooking in their home kitchens, not in professional kitchens. I also very proudly use the title home cook because I think home cooks are so undervalued. I think they put in so much labor, so much just unpaid <laughs> labor to keep their households going. I feel like there's a lot that we do that, you know, professional restaurant chefs don't do by themselves. Usually restaurants, there's a team, there's multiple people required for purchasing the food, cleaning the food, prepping the food, cooking it, then cleaning up. You know, there's often a dishwasher. <laughs> Home cooks, we do everything. That's it. Yeah, shop. it's just you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, you know, the cooking to me is the most fun part. It's everything mm -hmm. else that goes into making a meal is so much work. And 
even just keeping the mental inventory of like what's in my kitchen, <laughs> what needs to be used up. And if you're cooking for more than just yourself, also being aware of other people's needs and desires <laughs> and likes and dislikes. And yeah. it's a lot to keep track of. And I just think that work is incredibly valuable. I am someone who gets, you know, outside affirmation and validation for my work. You know, this is my job. And I think of my job as being a home cook who gets a lot of credit. <laughs> so if calling myself a home cook can help spread that credit around, can help make people feel maybe proud of what they're doing in their home kitchens, like that's something I feel very passionate about sharing. Well, I love that you're you're approaching it again from a place of confidence and, you know, being able to say like and inspire other people to say, yeah, I'm a home cook and that's enough. I don't have to be oh, a chef. Yeah. I don't have to be an expert. Um, and I don't want to be those things. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know, right. It's not that I just don't have to be like I'm not I'm not interested. Like I'm not interested in that type of cooking. I appreciate it. I enjoy when someone else makes something, especially someone who's very skilled. Um, I enjoy when someone else cleans up the dishes from making that thing, that part I really like. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very happy and very proud to be a home cook. Yeah, you found your your place. Yeah, definitely. Um, tell me about the connection for you between caretaking of self or others and cooking. Yeah, I feel like caretaking is just so valuable. I think that we, if we haven't learned by now, <laughs> I feel like it's becoming just increasingly clear that like a lot of the systems we live within are just not coming to save us <laughs> and not immediately by any chance. And so I think we need each other. And I think this was very evident, like in the earliest days of COVID. And I think it continues to be so evident. And whether it's, you know, relying on a neighbor to check your mail, <laughs> you know, it could be that small and that simple, um, or it could be creating like mutual aid networks and so on. Like we just, we need each other. And I just don't think we can get through life alone. I don't want to get through life alone. And so I just think caretaking is so essential. It's so required. And so I feel like our jobs as as humans who share this earth is to figure out what are ways we enjoy taking care of other people because we don't all have to do everything. If we tried to, we would all just probably not do a great job. So I think figuring out what it is we as individuals love to do and how can we extend that love to other people. So for me, I love to cook. I love it <laughs> for all the reasons we got to talk about. Um so how can I use my love of cooking to care for other people? So I can use it, you know, directly in my home to make meals for myself and my wife to take care of us. I can use it in my community to cook meals like in places like soup kitchens, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I can use it to teach the classes I teach to help other people feel really relaxed in the kitchen. People who are interested in food but maybe feel a little nervous, like I can help relieve that anxiety, but it can be different for everyone. And it has to be different, like, because we need all of it. Like we need every single person and we need every single type of care. Mm. Yes. I mean, when you first said caretaking, my mind immediately went to, you know, taking care of children or taking care of people with differing abilities or, mm -hmm. you know, elderly adults. But what you're talking about is everybody taking care of everybody and playing their own role in how they do that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that we have been told, especially in America, that it's up to us as like individuals. And, you know, this sort of culture of exceptionalism and perfectionism and how how do you climb your way up to the top and stand out? And I definitely have fallen for that story and I think operated in that way for a lot of my life. And I think, I honestly think the pandemic has really just made me feel like, oh, that's, that's just not how I want to go about things anymore. I like feeling like I'm dependable to people in my life. And I like feeling like I can depend on people in my life. And I love helping people. I'm like, I'm always happy to help whoever. I'm very reluctant to ask for help myself. (laughs) But the more I open myself up to that and the more I realize, like, I don't have to do everything by myself, things in my life feel a little easier. They also feel more connected. (laughs) I am getting to create like connections and relationships with other people that have some vulnerability there and trust. And that is just makes my life richer. It also allows me to then do more of the things I am capable of and I love to do because I'm not trying to take care of everything myself. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I, I really resonate with that individualistic story and you're so not alone in getting swept up in that. I think for mm-hmm. so many, it's not an awareness. It just feels like the thing that you do is you get swept up in your individualisticness. That's not a word, but I made it up today. Um, and like, I'm you know, you. <laughs> yeah, or, or you get swept up in, in standing out or being exceptional. Yeah. And it's easy to get swept up in that. And it's also then easy to forget what really matters to you. So I love that you've come back to, you know, some of these words like connection and community. And so I'm curious, how can people listening or how can we all start to think more in terms of community instead of the individual as it relates to cooking? I mean, where my head is going right now is moving from like a scarcity model to an abundance model. Like Mm. I think thinking about not just what's the best thing for me here, but what's the best thing for all of us? Um, thinking about not only how can I get ahead here, but how how can we all maybe not even get ahead, just but just be <laughs> in mm-hmm. peace. Um, you know, these concepts we're talking about are so huge, right? Mm-hmm. And so massive. And sometimes I feel like when I talk about stuff like this, I am describing like just these mountains that are like, well, how, <laughs> how are you supposed to get up there? Yeah. Um, and food allows me to kind of break it down and feel like, oh, this is actually tangible. So, you know, in terms of thinking of not just like what's best for me here, but what's best for all of us. And I think thinking about you know, you can add on to that. Like, where am I buying my ingredients? How is that affecting my community? Like, am I buying it from um, a store that's been in my neighborhood forever and, you know, generations of people have worked there? Or am I going to a big box store that has like zero connection to this place? And also not moralizing these choices. Like, I understand why sometimes going to that bigger store and the price difference and stuff like does make sense. But just taking a moment to think about those decisions. I think with food, because we eat every single day, we have the opportunity to make these types of decisions every single day. Like, Mm. where are we shopping? What are we making? How are we respecting and honoring the people who produce that food? You know, and if you've 
make a decision you don't feel great about one day, like how amazing that you get to eat again tomorrow <laughs> and try it again. So it's, that's something I love about food so much. Like, I feel like there are just like endless chances to try. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that so much about food. You're almost illustrating a food philosophy. And I'm curious <laughs> if you have like a food philosophy you live by that, that we can learn from. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have a food philosophy? I guess how can you find pleasure without judgment? I feel like that is kind of top of my mind. Mm. What's the deal with, because I've heard you say moralize multiple times, and mm-hmm. I, I really respect that and appreciate it. What makes you kind of own that? I think it's it's work I'm just honestly doing personally right now that comes with divesting myself from diet culture, comes with healing from my own eating disorder and disordered just relationship to eating. And I think a lot of those things for me were wrapped up in moral judgments around cooking and eating and feeling like choices I was making were right or wrong. Trying to control the size of my body was right or wrong, like that kind of stuff. And so taking that sort of the moral code out of it it just helps me feel honestly just calmer <laughs> about it all. And it it worries me how much morality is baked into diet culture and just food culture at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear that. I, I think anybody growing up in the 80s, 90s, or most of modern day has felt the impact of judgment around body, mm-hmm. around the impact of needing to control what your body looks like and feels like, and then food becomes less pleasurable and much more anxiety provoking yeah. because you're worried about like, is this quote unquote good for me to eat? Is mm-hmm. it bad? And while health is incredibly important, like I'm having fun, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm eating like I want to be around for a while, but I also want to enjoy and I want, I love flavors and tastes. Yeah. The cost of the anxiety around food to me is is so much higher than any other thing that we can count, whether it be like calories or mm-hmm. <laughs> fat grams or anything <laughs> like that. I know the price I paid for that stress and anxiety and I just, I refuse to keep paying that bill. So yeah, I think in my rejection of that, I am just seeking, yeah, I guess as much sort of peace as possible without judgment. Yeah. Well, and I think on the the other side of maybe not moralizing, but for those of us who have the privilege of deciding where we're going to eat, Mm -hmm. what we're going to buy, and have a lot more range and flexibility there. I think about some of the socio kind of political choices that we're making as we go purchase from different places. Um, And so I've just become this year more conscious also of that, of like, where Mm -hmm. am I buying my food from? What am I voting for today? You know, yeah. and and so while again like, agree on on non judgment and you know, if I go somewhere and the food's not you know exactly as I would normally eat, that's okay. But it's just recognizing like what am I voting for with my money because it is powerful no matter how much you have. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, in in a you know a capitalist society, we do have so much power with our spending, and I think approaching it that way is is incredibly just smart and galvanizing. Thinking about every single time you pay for whether it's groceries or a meal out at a restaurant or takeout, whatever it is, whatever you're eating, wherever it's coming from, when money is exchanged, there is just as you said, it's it's a political decision. Mm-hmm. 
It goes back to even your your point about scarcity versus abundance. And I love, um, I don't know if you've read Lynn Twist's book, The Soul of Money, but she mm-hmm. says the opposite of scarcity is an abundance. It's actually enough. And mm-hmm. so I think for even people, you know, I think we're used to thinking so much in extremes. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm going to be super rich or super poor versus mm-hmm. like I have just enough. And with that enough, I have the power to decide how I show up, what I eat and who I who I spend my money with. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I totally yeah. agree. So what, you know, when you think about the next kind of leg for you and what you're doing, you know, going forward and it comes to food, what is your focus and intention going to be? And and what advice do you have for us who, you know, maybe aren't aren't cookbook authors, but are wanting to move closer to being home cooks? Mm-hmm. My intentions right now professionally is really interesting to me because I just it's the first time in my adult life, I haven't been working on a book um, mm. or working towards a book. And wow. my intentions have become much more about uh, teaching. I, I love teaching these online classes. I just have so much fun. But my intentions just as a home cook <laughs> and mm-hmm. the intention I guess I would like to share with other home cooks is to just put my shoulders down a little bit and to remember that not every single meal I eat has to be the best meal I ever had. (laughs) Just really simple food is really, really delicious. And to have an appreciation that that I get to have that every day. I get to enjoy simplicity every day. I'm so grateful for that. I love that. And that definitely gives me some confidence, too, when I think about my my continued journey with cooking this year. So thank you. Yeah, totally. No, I yeah. always think about like, you know, like a baked potato <laughs> and like a salad is a delicious meal. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be complicated. It really doesn't. Like I don't want to eat complicated food every day. Yeah, and so much of what you're saying is about simplicity. I mean, even every, everything that you're saying feels like it's kind of all back to simplicity, mm-hmm. even back to the small home repair you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like heard myself talking before about like, I don't have to do everything on my own. And it's about community and like interdependence. And I'm like, where you're am outside I? of the crowbar, like, <laughs> sweating. <laughs> I am not like a carpenter. Like, what am I doing? But anyway. <laughs> well, you're learning. That's like yes. the whole point of life. Um, all right. I'm going to have you answer these three big questions. Better humans are? Connected. Better work is? Purposeful. And a better world has? Whew. A better world has more peace. Love it. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. You just heard from best-selling cookbook author, podcast host, activist, and home cook enthusiast, Julia Tertian. These kinds of conversations invigorate me, mostly because she's brought something different to the table. Pardon the pun. But Julia really is doing work that matters. It's meaningful to her, and she's making it easy for all of us to delight in home cooking, no matter our skill set. If today's episode resonated with you, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can always find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential. I'd love to hear from you, so send me a message. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe Giorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. 
Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I will see you next week.